This show is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky things that are best enjoyed after you see the movie. So any movie we talk about, we recommend you go see. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You got red on you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Oh the Horror, a podcast where we take a look at modern and classic horror movies from a expert and a newcomer's perspective. I'm the expert Rob Holmes. And I'm the newcomer Steve Allman. And today we've got a bit of an announcement to make. Uh, we are going to be coming out uh, for our releases from here on out on Tuesdays. Uh, it's a bit more of a conducive schedule for both uh, myself and Rob for recording and for me for producing the whole thing. So that's what we're going to do. And... Uh, Hopefully, we don't take away from your big Tuesday lifestyle now. Hopefully, we add to your Tuesday lifestyle. We Yes, we supplement uh, a magnificent Tuesday living for you guys. And uh, boy, what a Tuesday is it going to be now, Rob? Because what movie well, do we have in the pipeline? Well, this is a two for Tuesday. Uh, we have Creep and Creep 2, directed by Patrick Bryce, starring um, the first one, starring Patrick Bryce and Mark Duplass. And the second one, starring Mark Duplass and Desiree Akavon. So, these, this, these films are like this is the type of filmmaking that you do. Micro budget. Micro like. budget, and it is the, it's probably the best representation of micro budget that I've seen, in a very very long time. Because when you when you start thinking about how much these movies cost to make. We're not talking much at all. We're talking about um, improvised conversations with a very simple story structure. It's, it's good, it's, man. It's usually the um, the in, the imagination and the ingenuity of a hungry filmmaker that uh, can that can put out a movie on a small budget, let alone a like minuscule budget, which I'm certain that at least the first creep and then most likely the second creep had. Um, but but so so the the ingenious thing about it is that we think that like a lot of like cheap ways to make horror films obviously is found footage movies and th like i could easily believe that and yet here we have another found footage movie that is kind of uh it's it's kind of one of the more solid ones as far as premise and why is this still constantly being recorded logic that we sure. have going on yeah i see this is a little different from a traditional found footage movie this is more of a it's a meta-found footage movie. It's a meta-found footage movie that is is more based on the idea of a documentary. Even in both of them, they kind of have a feel of, of a documentary, of documentary filmmaking of... So let's go into the first one. So the premise uh, of the first film is that the character of Patrick Bryce, uh, his name is Aaron in the film... Uh, he's a videographer. He answers a Craigslist ad. It's a one-day job. It's in the middle of nowhere, really. It pays a thousand dollars, and he's just like, "All right, this is what we're doing. We're gonna record." And he goes up to the house. Is you know can't get in at first, and then is uh, greeted by this guy Joseph, played by Mark Duplass. And as we're going through this uh, this introduction, we we assume that this guy is, he's dying because he introduces himself as like, Hey, I'm Joseph. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm dying, but I, I wanted to do this, uh, for my son. Um, 
so that he can see it when he gets older and kind of remember his father. And it sounds fair enough, but he's he's very strange and very like overly welcoming to Aaron. Um, and I, I just love the dynamic between the two. Like, this entire film, I just love the dynamic between these two characters. Yeah, and so we another good thing to note is that the director of this movie, Patrick Bryce, uh, is starring in it, but he's also clearly very much just directing Mark Duplass uh, as an actor. I get where you're coming from with that. I kind of see it as less than that. I see him, like, he's the cinematographer, obviously, as well, because he's the one behind the camera. But these conversations were... All they had was like a framework of, oh, they're in the car here. This is where they meet. This is what they do. And then the rest is improvised the entire way through where they're just figuring out, figuring it out as they go. And Mark Duplass, like that's what that's what the Duplass brothers are really known for. Exactly. Like these mumblecore, highly improvisational movies Mm -hmm. that are just kind of more real and organic sounding dialogue. And to to their credit, this dialogue does sound very organic and in a weird way. It's unsettling how casual it sounds. Like, it sounds quite real, like the conversations that people have and the reactions that people have. And I think that's great in this, too, because they shot a lot of footage, and originally it was going to just be a dark comedy. And as they're going through and they're realizing what they're getting into and what they're delving into and showing their friends... They, they started piecing together something that turned from dark comedy to just a real dark uh, horror type film. Right, and I think that it's a, uh, it's, it's a very cool, interesting creative process when they seemingly stumble upon th- this type of unfolding of like a mystery or of this weird guy and what is his deal, what is he about. And it's a, it's a very cool process because this movie takes a very long time to get to the unsettling, scary parts of what it builds itself as. The, and it, what comes from it is a odd, like, weirdly funny at times, quirky guy that's interacting with this cameraman who wants to film his life in a, as he's called it, uh, my life, but starring Michael Keaton type of way. F- filming a day in the life of his dad from a, you know, cancer not survivor <laughs> for his unborn son. And he's, he starts to trickle in these, like, interesting and weird details about his life where, like, he asks these, like, big questions of, like, have you ever done anything you're ashamed of? Like, weirdly tries to make friends with uh, his ca- his cameraman's character and uh, is, is very unsettling, but in no ways that immediately scream serial killer or person it, that could do harm. And, and what's strange about this is as we go through and Joseph keeps telling his stories, Joseph starts saying to Aaron, I'm sorry, I haven't been completely honest. And then he'll drop a little bit of a bombshell on him. And he keeps doing this throughout the movie. And it's like he's testing him to see how far he can go and still keep this guy there. Right. And it's and it's interesting because this movie is about like an hour and 20 minutes long. Not even. Not and even. An hour half and 15. Of the, yeah. Half of the movie is him keeping him in that house and just kind of talking to him. And getting more and more weird and unsettling as that happens. It, it, and there's like a fork in this movie's story where after that happens, after we revealed some very, very, very disturbing things about Joseph, 
he, he's kind of had it and he has to leave the house but not under like an insane it culminates in an insanely creepy sort of stare down with him in this wolf sure. mask yeah, well, that that in itself, the the peach fuzz mask. You know, as I'm watching this, I wasn't sure that it was improvised. The second he put on that peach fuzz mask and started doing the song, that werewolf song that he had yeah. for it, I was like, all right, it's improvised, but holy shit, that what a good job on that song. Because I could tell he improvised that entire song, but it, yeah. it worked. And it felt... It felt organic, but you could tell there's no way this was a song that he would sing on a normal basis, you know, like or grew yeah, up yeah, with yeah. and um, it, it also plays into the idea because like again like the, the genius of like duplass films are finding scenarios that real people tend to be in so that even if they sound we keep coming across the organic term but if they sound odd or off while they're improvising it plays to the idea so like there's joseph is clearly in a lie amongst lies with aaron of playing with facts and toying with his emotions and truth and every time that he sounds like he doesn't really have the words to say something, like in an acting perspective, it makes sense because he's clearly coming up with the words as he, as it goes. But also the character of Joseph is coming it up, coming up with it as he goes. Sure, because he's we don't even know who he really is. We keep finding out different stuff. He keeps lying about things, and the new information comes to light. New information comes to light. He tells this horrible story about he how he raped his own wife at one point but you're even wondering is this guy even married and does he even have kids or is he saying this to see if this is the story that's going to push Aaron to leave and it does and the, what what I find so okay so there's there's a couple of really cool touches in the beginning of the film uh when Aaron comes up to the house he notices an axe just buried into this log but doesn't really think much of it and then the question was brought up I think at one point where he said, was there a moment where you were afraid that I was going to just use the axe on you? Like and I could just kill you with it? I could just kill you with it. And Aaron's just, no, no, I don't really, I don't think so. But all I'm just thinking is, all right, massive foreshadowing here in the greatest way possible. There's not, there's a lot that we can talk about, but trying to get into the minutia of each, of each scene is, is a little difficult. Um, because it's also, lot... it also kind of feels like not pointless, but arbitrary because the right. nuance of a scene in, in essence, it doesn't matter to the overall, like just shenanigans that Joseph is kind of playing into as he keeps going. Right. The end game is the end game is really what matters. How we get there is just a fun ride and a very disturbing ride. I mean, we are delving into the psyche of this guy and you know, when you think of it as, for amateur filmmakers who are out there or uh, even professional videographers who are taking these independent jobs, they don't always know what they're getting themselves into, and they do deal with some very strange and very quirky people. Uh, and and in, this, in this world of, of doing the freelance type stuff that he's doing, this just seems like it's a guy who may have gone through a lot of stuff, is emotionally distraught, and yeah, he might be lying about stuff because his main cover story was just so solid, uh, of just being this sick guy who is going, who's terminal and going to die soon. And I think that's where Aaron plays. That's where Joseph plays on the sympathies of Aaron, and Aaron just kind of falls into it. And he's he, you know, he's willing to deal with a lot, and even when he's trying to leave, and he's like, "I'm out. I, I gotta go, man. It's late." 
he is still able to be convinced to come in for a drink, which was, it definitely played to his downfall. Right, and it, the logic argument of like, okay, well, it, we're like, we're getting into territory where normal people would not accept things like this and just try to run away, but like, they keep, they, they keep trying to make the best case for a, uh, a reason for him to stay that like you know maybe maybe Aaron's character doesn't really have the best type of social outlook or he's having money problems and like when he's offered money like you know he'll that'll stretch a little farther and stuff like that like I, I can suspend my disbelief enough to uh to go through that so we have the showdown at the house where he has had enough and he wants to leave it's weird because you have like him standing at the door creepily dancing with the wolf mask on and you think okay now he's gonna go crazy and lose it and he's gonna kill him or something like that, and it's it's a weird because it was like it was fun. It was balancing this line of like very creepy and also goofy, where like you're just like, oh, this guy's just sad and emotionally disturbed and freaked out, but also this is kind of scary. And then like there's a tussle, and then the ca- and then like the footage cuts for a minute, and we rejoin Aaron. He's fine, and he just kind of summarizes that like, yeah, we just had like this weird fight and. Nothing really happened. I haven't spoken to him again, and I just wanted to write it off. And it seemed very simple, and it seemed, okay, well, where is this going to go next? And he ends up getting a package, or gets the the DVD and uh, watches the video um, that he's gotten. Joseph explains, you know, that he, he wants to talk to him. He wants to talk to him in a public place, and he wants to be out in the open, and he hopes that he'll be there so he can explain himself. And at this point, the way he the way he puts it in there and the way he says it, it makes it seem like, okay, well, he's talking about going in a public place. It, it can't be that bad. This guy is crazy. Maybe he is going to explain himself, which is why I see Aaron deciding, all right, I'm going to do this. But at the same time, Aaron's trying to play it smart. He has... 911 on his phone on speed dial and he's got uh he's got his camera set up to watch where uh, by the bench by the lake and this was the moment i know it's it's the end of the film but it makes it all worthwhile like it really and i i loved it to begin with i it's had a, a good very time well here. it's a very well laid out shot for just yeah, a static I, shot and i will say this i never got bored with this film the entire time everything that led up to it was was just a great psychological piece and was very interesting probably because it was improvised you never knew it was going to happen next anyway we're at this final moment he goes and he sits on the bench and it's so serene and he he only looks behind him once he doesn't see anything he sits down and he's there for a while Joseph just sneaks up behind him, really sneakily. You think in, he's in gonna a, scare in him? A comically, like, in a comically like '40s vintage, just detective coat, right? In this long trench coat. But now, now it's absurd. He, he comes up behind him, and you think he's gonna scare him because during the entire movie, he jumps out and he scares the hell out of Aaron. He does it constantly. He'll just hide behind something and then jump out and right in his face, and Aaron freaks out, and he loves it every time he freaks out. So I'm expecting that to happen because he just moves up and he does that weird walk. Then he pulls out the peach fuzz mask and he puts that on. And I'm thinking, okay, well, he's going to scare him with that and just do the dance again. And then the one thing that you didn't see when he walked up that he had next to him or between his legs is a, is the axe. And he just pulls this axe. And you're like, nah, man. No, and they draw out that scene of him holding it. Oh, it's very, it. very, very like long and processed. It's it's very good, and that's what I think you don't is know, great. You don't know if he's gonna like actually do it until he does it. You don't think he because you're like, all right, well maybe he's gonna scare him, and then the guy's accidentally gonna die or fall into something or whatever. Well, because because be everything leading up to that point, because if you think that he would have killed him, 
he would have killed him in like it would have happened by the time like when he was sneaking like around his house or when he was in his house like just snipping off pieces of his hair in a very very cool like reveal of just like the camera turning on and the camera moving without Aaron you don't see you and like you don't see Joseph like moving the camera at all but you know it's him and it's it's a very yeah and so for some reason like Aaron's just been captivated by him in the in the most like weird way the entire time he's driven to go to the park and he gets killed he just gets gone yeah. right in the in like right awesome. and you think they're so you think they're gonna cut away or something else is gonna happen but you see the axe hit him right in the head he pulls it out and he just starts hacking him a couple of times runs away and then you're you're waiting you're still looking out there and then runs and like makes a face right into the camera and well, does no, a scare thing a, into it, the camera it, it's it's actually a, a brilliant more brilliant than that i really like the editing in this because like after he goes out of frame uh the like another camera pulls out from viewing this and it's joseph talking to the camera being like wow you're very smart aaron like yeah you did put all of the you did put your phone to speed dial on 911 but you didn't look back and like he's kind of like applauding Aaron for be- thinking that he was so good and so nice of a person and like that is why you were my favorite and that's why I'll remember you most of all it's a very awesome like kind of monologue and like, he's just kind of like marveling at his work in the end this footage that he wanted to contract him for and this footage that he was trying to make out of him killing joseph or aaron excuse me is like a tribute to him in a weird way and so like he's just kind of sitting at the tv marveling at his work and in the footage you see him jump into camera and go ah and he scares himself by yeah and then well he does he ju- he does the thing and he goes ah and then it cuts and turns around to him and he does the exact same he thing goes, ah, like he's so like, so it hits you with like it hits you with that twice in a row which yeah, is which really was great. Actually, which is quite funny it was very and, funny just to have him scare himself right and i think the tag of having that in there at the end where you see that he is a serial killer and he's done this many 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 times uh, and he has a library of all the people who he's brought out to do this yeah, and to kill. Of DVDs and all that of stuff. Of DVDs like, of all of these people. So with in essence, voiceover of him on the phone with a, another potential Craigslist victim. Exactly. Exactly. And the, in essence, what's really great about this is that, yes, he has a cinematographer come out there and film everything. But he's actually the director at the end of the day. He's the one putting together these films. These are his movies uh, where... The person who actually made, you know, who filmed this stuff, it's it's just insane. He every single one of his videographers is his victim. Yeah, and so that's overall, what I, I, I really like, liked about it. Same. I really thoroughly enjoyed Creep. Uh, I th- I think it's a like a nice, brilliant little movie that uh, is taught and works very well. Absolutely. Uh, it's Absolutely. a it's a cool little character piece uh, with a nice, cool meta narrative, and I think it's really nice. Immediately going into Creep 2. Yeah, Creep 2 is... Can I I start off by saying I did not like Creep 2 that much. What? Which I... I, So here's my thing. Here's my thing here. Uh, So we have, like, the premise of Creep, uh, taking everything that we have into account, uh, we could have just explored... A sequel could have just explored another victim or another type of... Uh, scenario in which the character of 
Joseph, who is now named Aaron in this movie, yep. very cleverly enough. Because he took uh, over the persona. I mean, it was his, being that it was his favorite, that's, it almost seems that when he does that, he takes over the next person's name, but that's not necessarily true because in the beginning of this, we see him murdering uh, Karan Sony's character. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, you know him from Deadpool and Deadpool 2. Uh, he, I, I'm not exactly sure if, I think it was because Aaron was his favorite that he decided to take that name. Because he had that locket made at the end of the movie. Remember the it's one for true, him? very true, yeah. And, he was and like, he oh, also, Joseph and Aaron. Yeah. And that comes and back movie, in this movie. And the movie kicks off with him sort of going through, like, explaining to his victim right before he kills him that he's just, like, he's lost his mojo. Like, he's, like, he's gotten off on like not really feeling the juice of killing somebody anymore and like ever since he turned 40 he's just like not had it and then just kills somebody and i'm like all right so this is like i i get it he's trying to figure out like what all of this is and uh, like doing his mark duplass kooky sort of thing where we this is like a delving into the actual person that killed uh Aaron, as it were, and not exactly like a culmination of all the lies and all the things that really got to it. So he he's kind of he's kind of bearing his soul to whoever would want to come next. So no, ex exactly, and that's so so in this one it's it's interesting because because he's lost his mojo. He has thirty nine victims, um, and he is thirty nine, about to turn forty, and it's kind of like this celebration for him of. You know, he, he wants to get that back because he's lost it for so long. He doesn't have it anymore. He's like, should I give up? Is this what I even want to do with my life? It feels like a job, and I don't want it to feel like a job. There used to be a rush that came through it. So we're introduced uh, to his new victim, Sarah, who is a videographer who is trying to uh, delve into what was the – it was basically what was the what was the name of her show? again encounters the, encounters. the youtube series was encounters and she right we see a sort of like a person that wants to like do like this kind of npr -y type of journalist podcast thing where she just talks about uh the like not so much weirdos but like the people that want just genuine connections off of craigslist and she like does a little like sort of journalist piece about this but like nobody watches it nobody cares uh but she's kind of like scrounging for work and she wants to make something great. And so she's brought to Aaron's house uh, about the proposition of a job. But and he, he warns her in there saying, don't be, it's, it's one of those things. Are, are you going to get scared by this? You know, he puts in warnings, little tiny cryptic stuff uh, to see if people would answer. Now in, in reality to him, that stuff is pretty blatant that he's a serial killer going to kill people to someone else it would just seem like a strange person who is trying to be quirky or funny right away she sits in there with him and she's excited about it. she wants to do this because she you know it's a thousand dollars and this is good money and she's not doing anything really with her show and encounters has nine episodes and this would finish it out as her 10th she has no views on this she thought it was going to work and she's thinking she's questioning and doubting herself so She's willing to, she even debates with herself, should I even do this? This is insane. And right there, I think, is where we st where I start to lose this movie because... I don't, she, though. So Aaron basically lays everything out at her feet. He's like, hey, I'm a serial killer. I've killed uh, 39 people. I've lost my inspiration. 
I go into a huge diatribe about how inspired I am by Francis Ford Coppola. And I want to go on this journey with you and you document me about uh, my life and what it takes for me to be a serial killer. And she like, she's like, yeah, okay, cool. In the monochrome of like, I get for the fact that like, she's like, okay, this guy's just clearly crazy or thinks he's a serial killer or whatever. Like that's a whole bunch of other stuff. But like the second thing they do is Mark Duplass just gets naked in front of her. That's, and that was she, a very strange, that was a very strange moment. So like that happens and I get how it's kind of weird and funny and it's played for laughs because he's like, I, I think that the best thing to do for someone to relieve any tension that nothing will happen is to just get naked in front of someone. And then he just immediately drops his towel and we just see Mark Duplass's dick for like all of about a, a solid minute. Sure, I, but I, I get where they're going with it because the idea behind that seems to be trying to free to see to test this person to see if it would freak her out. That's what he does. He, he tries to elicit an emotional response, and then she turns it on him by saying, "Okay, you've done yours. Well, now it's time for me to do mine." And it catches him off guard. And this is what I really like about the movie is that she almost plays his foil throughout the entire thing. She's always. Every time he does something where he's trying to freak her out or bother, he jumps in front of her and tries to scare her multiple times, and she's not scared by it. She's just dealing with it. Now, internally, when she does go into the bathroom at one moment with the camera, she's starting to get freaked out by it. But then... Yeah, and saying that, like, every red flag that could possibly go flag. up is up right now, and sure, I'm still sticking but then, with it because... Remember, she's, she's been trying to do this film. She's been trying to make this thing happen. She's been trying to get something off the ground, and at this point is is desperate to get it to work and i understand that i mean when you're working on a project for a certain amount of time and who knows how how long this type of stuff she's been working on how many years she's put in to try and make something happen so while she does have all these red flags i i can understand that that hunger to be to be a filmmaker and yeah, but the willing fact that to she, do anything yeah but the fact that she's only doing it just for art and not even at all concerned about her own safety put me off of like okay so she's just now an idiot i just, i saw her character as just being dumb now but it, it's not even that part because i can also kind of see where like i i like that's the first like tick of my suspension of disbelief like box i'm like all right fine you do that dumb thing great you're in this ride here but also what follows is just I, i'm not getting any sort of like i i understand that a sequel to a movie doesn't need exactly need to recapture what it's done before because quite frankly that's not how you make something original like it's just trying to do the same thing again and to the respect of creep 2 it's not doing the same thing but also, I'm not, it's almost, like, what I feel is almost sort of negating the good things that came from Creep 1 when they introduced the character of uh, then-Joseph, now Aaron, as either this sad, weird guy that either wanted some connection and then ended up killing somebody, or is a profoundly, like, deceptive serial killer and can go to any means to do that. Now he's portrayed as like this artistic asshole that I am not compelled at all to watch. Like he attempts See, to be I, charismatic and like as a like a, a savant of something, and he's kind of just playing it off. And that like that to me was just unappealing. Through like we talk about like how half the movie is uh, Joseph and Aaron in that apartment, just like 
bonding and weirding each other out. The entirety of the movie up to the last 10 minutes is this. Is just finding how much of a weird, like, self-righteous dick he is. I don't, I don't, see, I disagree on that. I think in this one, it seems more so he's trying to have control especially when he's out in the scene with the in the lake or in the little river area with the water he's trying to have control and the thing is she is taking back that power and control from him throughout and it frustrates the shit out of him until he realizes he has someone who possibly could be a match for him she's not really even freaking out that much now granted when he does ask her do you actually think that i'm a serial killer later on and she says no i really don't think you are then then it's kind of like all right i i can understand there being i i get what happens next between them you know he he takes her out to an area and then he starts stabbing himself for this weird for this weird like we're gonna die together type thing right uh, no first is, well this, first this he tries to kill himself first he tries to supposedly kill himself because I, I think he doesn't think he's gonna get any of his mojo back and she almost not as mocking him but has kind of taken that power away from him so he says he's gonna kill her or kill himself um but we don't know if he's actually ever going to do it. He does put his head down for her to cut his head off, though. And that moment, that's insane when he realizes, all right, well, I guess I'm going to die and that'll be my final video. She could have swung that axe. I don't know if it was a calculated thing where he just thought, well, she's not a killer and won't do this or, or what. But between that and then him hanging himself and then she ends up, saving him later he says he has a harness but i don't think that was necessarily on there i think he was just using it as an excuse to keep him there i think he is potentially a suicidal killer who yeah but has trouble with his own life but so like and i i get that he's trying to like assert some sort of like control or power or allure over her that isn't working and i see how that frustrates him but the fact that he's doing these like sort of childish things to get her attention to be like, look at me, like watch me try to kill myself and save me or listen to my like very like like watch me have a tantrum at the lake and then like listen to this long drawn out story about how I first became a serial killer and like see if that freaks you out and no, it doesn't. Oh, well, I guess I can do like he only decides to kill her out of frustration and a lack of connection, which I get because, like, that's honestly the coolest part of this because it's appearing that he had connections with all of his victims, and that was the point. But in this, he's just, like, going through a midlife crisis or a quarter-life crisis or whatever just to, like, get his mojo flowing, and this is how he does it. And I will admit that, like, the movie immediately gets compelling again when he gets frustrated enough to just go out and kill her. Okay, but there there goes beyond that. So to me, the way I see it is that when he says he's never had sex with a woman, I kind of believe him on this. I do, man. The way he acts around her is how somebody would act around a girl that they have a schoolyard crush on. He's acting ridiculous. It is messing with him more than anything. And then when he decides, all right, we're going to die in this in this love pact, he stabs himself multiple times. If someone who didn't want to die would not do that. And then when it's her turn, she's not having it. 
right. then but we've also it, but like also in the first creep he is known as a pathological liar like he lies about everything sure everything he may be a pathological liar but who like the hell the is going to stab themselves that many times and they then say, okay, it's your, your turn for this? Sure, I understand. It's, it's crazy, it's... and that's where I think he has finally had his breakdown and he has finally had a crack in it. I mean, this is all part of a trilogy as a whole, right? So when we're when we're getting into this this final moment where we have the grave that is dug for before that, she he had always said he was not going to kill her. In the 24 hours she was filming, and she calls him out on that at one point, and his demeanor changes all of a sudden. His demeanor goes from, hey, I, everything's fine, and yeah, I wasn't going to kill you, but the second she says, yeah, but what about after 24 hours? And you just see this kind of wall go up a bit, and you can kind of tell he's very unsettled by that, because she's kind of caught him. Um... But then it cuts to that scene where after he has tried to kill himself, he, he wants to bring her out for something very special. And that's where he stabs himself. And it's like, you're next. This weird Romeo and Juliet type scene. She's not having it, but she tries to fight back against him, tries to run away from him and goes to attack him. And then I thought it was just going to be a stupid ending where he just went back, stabbed her to death, end of movie. And that kind of seemed to happen behind the tree. He definitely got her a few times with that knife. But lo and behold, she is somehow able to escape by the end of it. Because he's back there telling his story. And he says, oh, I feel alive again. I feel revitalized on this. Like, you you know, you helped me with everything. Oh, and he also tried to give her that crazy-ass locket that he had already given to Aaron before. And he said, yeah, the pictures are different in it, but it's kind of still the same thing. Uh, it, And then that final scene of him just, of him talking and explaining everything, and then her just going ballistic on him, uh, and, and being able to get away, which was really cool to see her get away. Yeah. And then and we see, yeah. Sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Yeah, no, I, that was the more compelling part of the movie where, she eventually made him crack and I wanted to see that happen because she was clearly pushing him to the limits by just attempting to be sort of normal around him and just questioning what he, he does every time. That's, that's a good, that's a good foil to him. I liked that. I liked where that went. I liked the fact that she got away and finally could believe that when you are taken to the woods, I guess. Uh, but the epilogue that we're faced with is also awesome, I think. I loved that epilogue. It made me so happy. Yeah, because it's it's sort of akin to the ending of the first creep where we have this sort of footage that we can't really explain, but it's footage of her just walking around New York. It's almost like it's an actual movie just being shot. And we see her in the subway and then we hear that whistle of the song that he used to do. And we think that it's him, but she also just looks into camera directly and she just looks, she just sinks down. Uh, very, very good. I just, I wish that I had any sort of come. I wish I was at all compelled to watch what was in between 
with, with the the meat in this movie sandwich is ain't that good to me by what what began and what like I believe that he was going through a midlife crisis. I wanted him to because that's the one thing that he decided to share with another victim. That's the one truth that I gained from him. Everything else is just like I'm a pretentious asshole and wants when wants to just like say all of these insane stories just to make my victim either like believe me go along with this crazy idea that I have for another movie uh I wasn't connected to it at all when the more compelling thing was just a crazy guy connecting with his favorite victim see I think I think what I liked about the second one was seeing the veil drop and and seeing Aaron Joseph whoever the hell he really is to have that as I said to have the power taken away from him where he's always the one in charge and always moving things forward and always kind of always has the upper hand and in this one because he was going through this crisis on top of this girl who is willing to get herself in way over her head in order for the sake of art is it a stupid thing for her to do that yes I don't think it was the best choice for her to stay there obviously but we're following her anyway to see what happens. The fact that she makes it through alive, yet obviously very wounded and psychologically scarred, it would be it's going to be interesting to see what they end up doing in the third part. Do we end up following her? Does he actually kill her and then talk about her in the third one? Where do we go from here? Or is I it just going to be an insanely different direction? It might be, and it could be a completely different direction. And the best part about this is Patrick Bryce directed both of them, and... For the second one, uh, Sarah's character was, she was the cinematographer for it. So they got to kind of work together. And you can see some more dynamic camera work in this that, that wasn't really in the first one. It did feel not broader in scope because there's not much that we can really go to make this broader in scope. But it feels like we are now entering this guy's world like I feel like I know more about the character of of Aaron slash Joseph more by having him be kind of a pretentious asshole at times because of how he wants stuff filmed remembers he is essentially the director of all of this madness these are his videos what he wants to watch what he wants to see so when he's not in charge of it he's going to get pissed off and he's going to get antsy and he's, it, it's just going to feel weird for him because he, he's a serial killer. Who's always been one to two steps ahead. Right. So here's what I would actually like to see for a creep three that could actually redeem itself. I think so we see in creep one, he appears to be a sort of lonely guy and in creep two, he's clearly more self-determined, more self-important, uh, juked up on himself. Really? I kind of want to think of each of his main victims during the course of each one of these movies as him playing the role that he thinks the other person wants to see. Where Sarah could be the filmmaker wannabe. Aaron wants to portray himself as this smart director type of person. I want to see a third victim that gives him a completely different persona. If that's the case... I totally buy into what this creep trilogy is doing because that only is because of the chameleon like character of Aaron or Joseph or whomever this is. That would be amazing. It if it be. isn't, if it's just a continuation of the Sarah story, I kind of don't want that. 
I don't want a continuation of the Sarah story. Because I don't like that guy either. No, I don't want it to be a continuation of the Sarah story. I do. I would like that to kind of in the third one, maybe we we wrap that up, maybe in the right in the beginning or something. Or it's what addressed, do, or it's brought up again, like it was sure. in Creep Two for the first one. Exactly, which I do like the continuity and the axe. I mean, the axe is is a very main focal point in both of these films. Sure, it's and a I signature thought, weapon or what have you. It's a trademark, right? And I think that was really cool. And I also love the fact that he just admits he's a serial killer to her. I love that transparency where he's actually being honest for once and i think actually this might be the most honest we see him as a character and i think think for the most part the veil is dropped he's trying to show someone who he really is as a person and i think that's why he gets so frustrated and dickish and confused because he never lets down his guard and he never lets down this wall so when he does for her it it just i think that's i think that is the moment and why it's why we don't like him as much because we actually get to know who he really is. I think that's what it is for this one more than anything. The more that I'm the more that I'm really thinking about it, the more I see this is his true self. And I I'm kind of of the opposite. I kind of want him to be a chameleon of sorts to his victims in order to get them into a cer- a, a place of comfort to where he finally takes advantage of them. I feel Creep 2 would have been the sort of chink in his armor, if you will, where he met somebody who could be his foil and he gets his mojo back because he is fueled not only now by something that was inside of him before, but now revenge because somebody got away. And Revenge just... or intrigue, maybe. I yeah. mean, it might not actually be revenge. It could be he he met someone who challenged him and made him bigger and better than he was before. That... That's why I like I really do like the second one because it does throw a wrench into things and it makes it different. And, and quite frankly, the fact that we're even having this conversation of why, you know, how we're interpreting it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it speaks praise better. to the actual movie, uh, these two movies themselves. It, it, they're quite good on most accounts. Like, I couldn't walk away from either one. It just, I feel like it's the, it's it, it, was, a, it was a lack of care for the second one that really threw me that where creep one was a more pointed. It felt like at least a more pointed and specific type of character study about this one guy that I really liked turning out to be something completely different and not somebody that I felt compelling at all uh, was disappointing. But anyway, uh, I would actually recommend both of them still. I, w- I would say that this is worth your time. And knowing that there's a third one around, I'm still kind of down for the third one. It's I, I'm very excited for a third one. And this was, this was a series that people had talked to me about, and I was not super thrilled in seeing it originally. I just thought, all right, why would I want to watch this? You know, I've never been the biggest Mark Duplass fan, or, uh, especially with the league because that's how I got introduced to him and I wasn't a huge fan of that show that's just a personal preference I know people love it I have plenty of friends who love it and there's episodes that I think are great but for the most part it's just not my thing but then seeing this and I've seen some other stuff with him that I actually really really enjoyed but this just took it to a whole new level like my respect for him is through the roof man like talented as hell yes Um, there's no denying the talent behind the camera and in front of it Absolutely. And I, I'm very excited for a third one. And I'm glad that this is a trilogy because 
it may, I think that's why I like this this second one so much because I think I think it's a good point into leading to the trilogy like how is it going to finish what's going to happen next how are they going to wrap everything up that's what that's what really excited me about the second film but yeah I think yeah that's a wholehearted recommend for me as well yeah hopefully everyone has seen these films if not watch them they're so good they're just yeah, fun they're just it's fun definitely movies for somebody man. that likes a found footage movie that tries in a different way way different no shaky cam crap either this is this is why i i like it because it's not it's not shaky cam amateur videographers these are you know they're they're freelancers who have been brought out to this that ups the quality of what this found footage is going to look like it's almost documentary style because that's what they're out there to do and and that's what i appreciate about this more than some of the other found footage movies that to me feel a little lazy because of how they're filmed but yeah, everyone should see this. Uh, it's awesome. Both of them are on Netflix, so highly recommended. So yeah, what do we uh, what do we got on the docket for next week? Well, next week we got some good ones. We've got the independent movie Southbound that you've been pimping out to me pretty well. I've been interested to hear about what we've got going on there, and uh, hopefully we got some cool cool things to see there. Yeah, yeah, Southbound. Southbound sounds cool, man, because uh, it's a it's an anthology film. I haven't seen it, but I've I've heard so much about it, and you know, anthology films to me are a lot of it's hit and mi- hit or miss. But I've heard really good things about this, so I'm excited for that for next week. Um, we hope you guys are too. Uh, re- you know, remember to follow us on you know Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, and you can find us at Oh the Horrorcast. Uh, well, you can email us at ohtheharrorcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, and then also you can find us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We are all over the place. So like us, review us, share us, do all that fun stuff, and we hope to hear from you. Or we, we hope that you listen next time. So Yeah, absolutely. So from both of us here at uh, Oh The Horror, I'm Steve Allman. And I'm Rob Holmes. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here.